You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see you all this morning. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to be spending uh, this morning, just in the first seven verses. If you don't have a Bible, please put up your hand, and one of our ushers will be more than happy to uh, give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one at home, it's our Christmas gift to you. Please take it home, and we really encourage you to read it. This is the greatest gift you'll ever get. It's the real, the real words of God that you can know Him and know His purpose for your life. And so Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, we're just going to have one more sermon in this series before we take a little Christmas break. Sometimes we take all of December for a Christmas series. This year we're just going to have two Christmas sermons, one next week and one on Christmas Eve, but we want to finish up, not quite finish up, but finish up the Audacious Faith series with Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And quite honestly, it's a passage that when I first looked at, I'm like, I'm just going to skip this one. We're in an Audacious Faith series. This little few verses, these few little verses really don't have anything to do with Audacious Faith. So I'm like, I'm just going to kind of Mention them a little bit and get on to what's next, because what's next, I know, so this is where I was planning on ending before Christmas, but didn't always, didn't go that way, but what's next is going to be really, really point people to audacious faith, but, but I, I couldn't get past this, because we really believe that everything is in here on purpose, right? And we really believe that God has something for us in every single word in this book. There's no filler in this book. And so I kept reading it, and God's Spirit wouldn't let me move on. I kept reading it, and I'm like, God, what does this have to do with audacious faith? What does it have to do with audacious faith? Here's what this passage, before I read, here's what this passage has to do with audacious faith. It's really a passage on leadership and about God raising up servant leaders in our church, in the church, in our church. And, and here's what has to do with audacious faith. If there's one thing we're praying for constantly in our church... It's God raise up men and women who will take on servant leadership roles. If there's one thing that most churches lack today, it's men and women being willing to rise up and having the faith to actually put their lives wholeheartedly into the work of God. You do know that we're here for more than just a Sunday morning thing, right? You do know that our church exists for more than just an hour and a half of, of some, some great worship, I pray, and, and, a, and a sermon to encourage your soul. Our church has, has so much to accomplish uh, in the, in the, for the kingdom of God and the world around us. There's, there's, there's souls to be saved and introduced to Jesus. There's people to be discipled in the faith. There's, there's needs to be met within our church. There's, there's, look outside the doors of this church, the community around us. God has called us not just to be about us, to, but to be about reaching out to the community around us. And, and so much to accomplish, and yet everything we do as a church needs people to lead it. And the only way the church is really going to go forward is if men and women who love the Lord, who are capable and qualified, are willing to assume assume servant leadership roles within the church. And so this passage applies to us. It applied to the early church for sure. If you remember where we're at now, the early church, Acts chapters 1 to 5, is really the the beginning of the church. And they're about 20,000 strong now. It grew fast. And there's 12 men trying to lead 20,000 people. How in the world are they going to handle that? There's, that's major burnout on the horizon, right? And all these people coming, all these people, they have to help them know Jesus, grow deep in their faith, all these needs to meet. What are they going to do? They didn't have social media. They couldn't like ramp up their website. They couldn't like send out more Twitter feeds and more emails. What are they going to do? They did what, was, what God called them to. They, they started looking around them saying, okay, who can we raise up to then release the ministry to that we can be about what God called us to be about and yet none of the needs being lost in the community around them. 
And so we see in the early church, let me read it for you, this is what's happening, uh, so much going on, only so much time in a day, and so the apostles, choosing men from within their church to rise up and take care of some of the needs that are coming up around them. Chapter 6, verses, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the twelve apostles, the twelve disciples summoned the full number of the disciples and said this, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to this, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and you can read these names, do your best pronunciation of them, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of the God continued to increase, continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Simple passage. Really, you look at it at first glance, not much application in there at all, is there? Yet look at it a little more deeply. There is a ton of application. I pray that this message for you today is simply this. It's, first of all, an instructional tool for you to, so you know how the leadership of the church is supposed to run and function. But I also hope it's this. It's an inspirational tool for you that you would desire and aspire to be men and women that God would raise up to be used as servant leaders within the church. And so because I can't accomplish either of those things in a healthy way, I'm going to stop right now and pray before we actually get into the text and ask that God would truly use this word in a deep and mighty way in all of our lives for his glory. So let me, let me stop, let me get on my knees to show my dependence upon the Lord. You get on the knees of your heart to show how dependent you are upon the Lord today to really hear from him and know what this means for your life. God, I do thank you this morning that we can open up your word and see exactly what you have for our church and our lives. God, we thank you that we worship this morning a living God, not a dead God. We live a God who is alive, not a God who is a figment of our imagination, a God who is sitting on the throne right now, a God who is, who is ruling over the universe, a God who loves his people enough to send them Jesus Christ to instill in us an audacious faith to live our lives with a different purpose than the rest of the world, to live our lives with meaning and with hope, and to invest ourselves in the one thing that lasts for eternity, the one thing that matters most, the kingdom of God. Father, I pray today that you'd simply instruct us in the way that a church should be and what we should be about, but also inspire us, Lord, to be the men and women of audacious faith you've called us to be, that there would be no one in this place, God, just eking through life satisfied with knowing about you, but God, instead, we'd be men and women who know, know you personally and who are sold out completely to following your will for our lives, whatever that means and whatever role that you call us to serve in. Help us in this, God. Help us every time we preach, God, we realize this is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. And so, God, may your spirit reign in me and reign in us today. Give us all that we need to make this a prosperous and fruitful time in our hearts for your glory. Please help us in this, Lord. Please do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. All right, the first thing I want you to write in your notes is this. The church needs a variety of leaders to fulfill God's mandate. The church needs a variety of leaders to fulfill God's mandate. Verse by verse, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose because the Hebrews, their widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here's the deal. Here's what's happening in the church. God is moving. The church is advancing. All the believers are loving being a part of this. There's a sense of, of almost pride and like, well, look what God is doing. And, and I'm sure they even had their little, little, I'm a part of Jesus' church, little bumper stickers on their chariots. This was a big deal. It was an exciting time. And yet, even in the exciting times, look what happens. A complaint rises up. Never happens in church, right? No, no. It happens in other churches. Thankfully, it doesn't happen in our church. But once in a while, complaints arise. And, and, and a complaint arises up. And, and complaints are one of those things that, you know, they can really divide people, right? And so the apostles jump all over it. But, but this isn't a complaint that was an, uh, an unfounded complaint. This is a, a really a, a good complaint. This is a, something that, that the Hellenists were realizing, the Greeks were realizing that, that, hey, it seems that some of our widows are being neglected in the distribution of food. And and so what are the Hellenists? The Hellenists are the Greek Jews. They weren't the, the people of the matriarch of Helen. That's not what a Hellenist is. They weren't people of the citizenship of hell. That's not what a Hellenist is. A Hellenist is a Greek-speaking Jew. And so they were looking around going like, hey, all the food is being distributed, but, but I think you're missing out on, on the, the, Greek, the Greek widows. Kind of thinking that maybe they're starting to treat the Greeks a little bit less than the Aramics. Disciples are like, what are you, you kidding? Like, we, we take this seriously. It's not just about gathering together for, for church on Sunday. We really want to care for the people that are around us. And there was one segment of the society that was to be cared for in, the, in Bible times in this day. It was for the widows. Oftentimes, those that were living far away from their homeland, the Holy Land, who were Jews, would come back at the end of their years to spend their final days close to Jerusalem. And so this is what was happening with the Greeks, the the grandfather and grandmother come back and we're going to spend our final days here. And then the grandfather would die. The, the, the grandmother would be left and her family far away. And who's going to look after her? The church, the people of God. And, and so built into the DNA of the people of God was to take care of those who are less fortunate like, than them. And it wasn't like in our day where, where there's all these financial planners in place for, the, for the, 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 the mothers to like get all these things in order. It wasn't even like in our day where we sometimes put the older people in a little home or put them in a segment of society where we don't have to worry about them anymore. Like, like this is a serious thing for the people of God. It was part of the way they lived their life. It was part of their calling, not just to pray and to read the word of God and to worship Jesus, but part of their calling was to care for the widows. It was a mandate of God, Deuteronomy 14.29, Deuteronomy 16.11, Deuteronomy 24.19, and many more in Deuteronomy. The Jewish nation was called, you got to get this because this is the same for us, it was called to care for their own. In fact, New Testament expectation was exactly the same. 1 Timothy 5.3 tells us that we are called to care for, called to care for the least fortunate, including the widows in our church. And so ingrained in the DNA of God's people was this desire to look out for our own. That's why it said in Acts 4, Acts 2, 44, and Acts 4, 32, we, just, we finished studying this a while ago, that there was no needs among them. And so what was common in that time was, in Jewish tradition, this is what would happen with the, with the widows. The Jewish people would give out a weekly sum for the resident needy 
And so they would gather some money, and, and every Friday they would give out enough money to pay for 14 meals for the, the widows. Combined with that, they also had a daily distribution for non-residents and transients that consisted of food and drinks, which they delivered house to house. They were proactive in delivering house to house where they knew the needy were dwelling. And so the Christians sort of incorporated all this into the faith because this is God's call on us. And so this whole idea that was coming out of this, this complaint and this mindset that, hey, you're intentionally neglecting the Greeks because you think we're second-class citizens. The elders are like, are you kidding me? We're not neglecting anything. Isn't it amazing how Satan can put ideas in our head and then spin it in a way that we're like, it's nowhere near reality? And it causes dissension and all kinds of things. And so that was what was happening. And so the, the apostles were like, that's ridiculous. We're called to care for both your soul but also your physical being. And yet they realized that there was so much to do and just not enough time in the day to do it. These were, the church was growing, but there was growing pains within the church. And as the church grew, the needs were greater. And, and 12 guys are like, ah, really, God, you've called me to do this? How could I ever do it? Point is, they couldn't. And they weren't supposed to do it by themselves. What they were called to do was to engage the rest of the body of believers to step up and also take on servant leadership roles to make sure that the whole church was cared for in a holistic way, in a way that no one was missed out upon. And this is the exact same for our church today. This is, the, this is the same dilemmas we have in our church today. Man, we've grown so much in five years, it's unbelievable. We started with David and I in my little basement office. And as we've grown, we keep praying, God, help us, help us bring people to help us. We, we don't just want to have service Sunday. We want to meet people's needs. We want to reach out in the community. We have so much to do. What are we going to do? We find ourselves consistently in this place where we're like, God, you have to bring us people to help us do the work of the ministry. You, you know already, I've said it often, that, that Christian faith is not a spectator sport. It's not like you just sit there and come and watch us do all the work and you've done your thing and we do our thing and we go home. No, this is, this is a, a all-in-together Let's pursue the purposes of God and yet being all in together, here's what we need. We need in every organization, every movement in the world and also in Christ, here's what we need. We need servant leaders. Any movement without leaders is, is going to fall and fail. It's going to become chaos and disorganized. And everyone's going to end up doing what's right in their own eyes and it's going to be bedlam. And so what God does in the church, he raises up the apostles and then the apostles raise up other leaders around them to fully uh, function in the way God's called us to function and, and serve in different capacities in the church. And servant leadership is a biblical concept and a godly practice that he's established for us in the church. It's both prescribed and described by God. It's prescribed. It's a noble task to want to serve in leadership in a church. It needs to be done. The call is constantly in the scriptures to raise up leaders. It's prescribed. It's also described. There's all kinds of stories of how leaders have functioned well and poorly, including in this passage here. And so leadership is both a biblical practice and it's a biblical principle. And so we see in this passage simply this. We see the two offices that God has called to in the church that I want you to understand so you can uh, not, just, not just aspire to them possibly, but you can also know how to live within them in a healthy, God-honoring way. And the first one is this. 
It's the office of elder. And elders are, according to this passage, instructed to be diligent in feeding our souls. Elders are to be diligent in feeding our souls. This is important for you. People always ask me, what does a pastor do all week? What does a pastor do all week? Do you just sit in your office and like play solitaire and take a few phone calls and read the Bible and pray? Show up on Sunday, do an hour? Like, I want that job. No, you don't. If that's what you think it is, like, yeah, sure, but, but that's not what it is. And here, here, here's the calling of a servant leader, the first calling of a servant leader. We see it right here. Remember, it's a holistic thing. We ought to care for the soul and also care for the physical being of people. Elders are called to care for the souls of people. They're called to be devoted to the word of God and prayer. So all this is going on, and the apostles are like, well, they summoned all the number of the disciples and said this, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's not like it's a not right, as in like, oh, look at us, we're way up here, and you're way down. This is not right, man. We couldn't lower ourselves. This is like a, when it says it's not right, it's really... This is not the way God designed it. This is, this, is, this is not acceptable in God's eyes that we would neglect teaching the word of God to simply meet the physical needs of everybody else. It's not right in God's eyes that we'd stop praying for you where the power is and, and actually just run around like chickens with their head cut off trying to be the jack of all trades and be the be all and the end all to everybody. It's not right. You'll, you'll miss out on the spiritual vitality of what it is to be a body of believers and a family of God. You'll miss out on the fullness of what it means to sit under the solid, effective teaching of the word of God and to be prayed for on a continual basis. And we miss that. We miss it all. So the elders, according to this, are men who are devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? It means to be given all into, to be invested in, to give a large part of one's time or resources to the word of God in prayer. Just like some of you, I'm devoted. I'm devoted to my video games, or I'm devoted to my school, or I'm devoted to my work or my family. Well, Elders are supposed to be devoted above all else to God and to the preaching of the word of God and to praying for the people for that is the greatest gift a leader in the church can ever give you. You can't miss out on the ministry of the word. So many pastors today get so sidetracked with everything else and all the the urgent needs that you know what's left by the end of their week is just a little bit for the word of God. And then they wonder why their, 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 their flocks are emancipated, they're starving. And there's no spiritual life there. Well, the spiritual life in a church starts with leaders who are committed to studying and teaching the word of God. In fact, 2 Timothy 4, 1-2 says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead. In other words, you'll be judged by this and so will everybody else. By his appearing and his coming, here's what the call is on on the, the elders. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Primary role of the leaders in this church, uh, honestly, it's not to be at the every whim and desire of the people of the church. Some people think the pastor's the hired hand, the elders are the hired hand, and when we say jump, they say... How high? 
That could be of some benefit to you, but you know what the greatest benefit to you of is that we'd invest our lives in the, the, the studying and the teaching of the word of God. It says this in every season. It's not talking about in winter, spring, some, summertime, and fall. It's talking about when it's popular in the culture when it's not. What is our role as, as leaders? To preach you the word of, to you the word of God. It means in every season when, when the leaders feel like it and when we don't feel like it. We feel like skipping pastors and we don't. Preach the word of God as is. When you want to hear it and sometimes when you don't want to hear it, guess what our role in your life, the most beneficial role that we have in your life is this. To continually still with humility in truth and in grace teach you the word of God. Yes, you can study the word of God on your own, but the Bible is clear about this, that God anoints the public preaching of his word. There's something significant and something unique that he does through the preachers that he is called to preach. And let's be honest, leaders' wisdom only goes so far, but the the wisdom of the word of God takes you the full distance. Leaders' wisdom only goes so far, but the word of God's wisdom takes you the distance. And so careful study and delivery of the word is vital to our souls. Here's what the word of God does in your life. This is, I'm trying to make this applicational. It's not quite in the text. I'm trying to make this applicational for you. If this is such a huge call that God has placed upon the leaders of your church, there's got to be some responsibility for you in this, right? To understand. Here's what you need to understand. It's the word of God that is going to change your life and no man and nothing else. It's the word of God that reveals God to you. It's the word of God that's spiritual food for your soul. It says that in Matthew 4.4. It's the word of God that is ultimately going to guide your life and be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, which is Psalm 119.105. It's the word of God that's a fire that's going to refine you in Jeremiah 23.29. It's the word of God that's like a hammer that's going to break up the hardness of your heart. Also in Jeremiah 23.29, it's the word of God that's a diagnostic tool for your soul that discerns the thoughts and the intentions of your own being, Hebrews 4.12. And so to neglect this time of the word of God is to neglect the souls of God's people. You walk into a doctor's office, expecting to see a doctor, like studying his doctor books and his medical books and looking at your x-rays. Instead, he's mopping the floor. Come on, like, do do what you're called to do, right? Like, this is... And so we as elders are committed to this and, and committed to praying that God would raise up more men within our church. Be honest, raise up more men within our church that would, that would want to take spirit, a spiritual role in your lives. That would raise up biblically gifted and qualified men that would say, yes, I will embrace this call to care for the souls of God's people. Second one is this, the ministry of prayer. It's a ministry of prayer. Can't neglect the ministry of the word. Can't neglect the ministry of prayer. Yes, elders and apostles should be there for the people. Apostles of the early church, elders today. Yes, the leaders will be there to, for you to lean on in times of difficulty, a shoulder to cry on in, in times of sorrow. Elders should be there to encourage you with a note or a word and to exhort you to keep going in the right direction. But here's the most important thing an elder can do for you and do for our church is to pray. Most important thing an elder can do for you and for our church is to spend time in prayer for you. Prayer is where the power is. That's why we're exhorted to in Ephesians 6.18, exhortation means commanded to or called to. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul lived this out. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, he says this, we prayed earnestly day and night that God would supply what is lacking in your faith. Again, this common misconception that, that, that leaders are to do everything. If they have time left over for prayer, then great. They can spend some time praying. Actually, it's the other way around. And you, you realize this, it's the other way around. Uh, elders and, and leaders are called first and foremost to spend time praying. And then after that, out of the overflow of that, comes all the other things that we're called to, to help you with in your life. Miss the prayer, though, and we miss it all. I think the enemy wants us to miss the prayer because you miss the prayer, you miss the power of all the other things that happens. Here's the power of prayer in your life. Again, to try and keep this so you understand how this applies to you. Here's the power of prayer in your life as your leaders pray for you. Prayer is the fuel that drives the engine of God's activity in your life. Can't miss prayer. Prayer is the water and the sun that cultivates the fruit of the spirit in your life. Prayer is the adrenaline that strengthens you for your hardest season. Prayer is the armor that protects you in the most intense battle. Prayer is the key to open the treasure chest of supplies that equips you for everything you'll ever need. Don't think over here again, you know, even thinking about those few things right there, like, really, you're going to spend more time in prayer? What about all the other things that need to be done in ministry? Think about it. Prayer is the ministry. Prayer's not the, prayer doesn't prepare us for ministry. Prayer is the greater work of the ministry as one sound theologian once said. R.A. Torrey said this, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of the prayer. But we must use the key. Prayer can do anything that God can do and as God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. Prayer is omnipotent. The more I learn about prayer, here's what I realize. More can be accomplished in 10 minutes of prayer than 10 hours of face-to-face counseling when God shows up. Not minimizing counseling. But more than hap- can happen in 10 minutes of prayer than 10 hours of planning where the church is gonna, what direction the church is going to go. The best use of our time as leaders in this church is to pray for you and to pray for our church and to seek the face of God that God would pour out his spirit upon us. This is the elder's greatest service to you. I quite honestly knew a little bit about this but didn't really know this until I came to be a harvest pastor. One of the first things I learned as as I went to Harvest Oakville was the power of prayer. I always knew about prayer. I always prayed quite a bit, I thought. But quite honestly, the churches that I served in were all about meeting all the physical needs, meeting all the physical needs, and there was no emphasis on meeting the spiritual needs. In fact, one of the pastors I worked for, he prided himself, he had a little little checklist, he reminded us often of how many people he moved that year, physically, like, you know, got the truck, physically moved that year, and he did a great job, he was a great mover. But at the neglect of studying the word of God and, and, and praying for the people, That church went down with a church split that ended in an ugly catastrophe. Good people, good man, you know, you know what was missing? A devotion to the word of God and prayer and a people who understood that. The people didn't understand it and, and so the, all these demands, all these expectations. 
guess that's why these passages are in here so that we do understand and we won't put unrealistic demands and expectations. We'll know what's most important for our leaders. And as we pray for you and as we preach the word of God to you, we realize that our calling is, is to raise up and equip men and women to do the work of the ministry. It's Ephesians 4.12. Constantly our prayer is, God, help us be elders and leaders that, that do this. Help us not get sidetracked with not bad things, but other things that we take us away from the most important things. You miss the word of God, and you miss prayer. Your spiritual life fizzles quickly. And then the other, then the other things matter anyways. God, help us stay focused on this, and then God, help us raise up men who will also be about these things, who will be about the word of God and about prayer. Let's call it to the men in our church. Would you be one of those men who we could say, you know, as a, a man who's about the word of God and about prayer that would, and, and fitting the qualifications of an elder that we studied a few months ago, that, that you would, if you were, were to tap you on the shoulder anytime, you were like, I'm ready, I'm ready, coach, put me in. I'm ready, I just care so much about the souls of people and I'm focused on the Lord and I'm in the word of God, I know the word of God and I pray wholeheartedly, put me in, coach. Or do you be one of those men that's like, ah, that's for somebody else, ah, that's for somebody else. It's what we all ought to be aspiring to. It's what we all ought to be aspiring to. First role of a leader in the church, first role of a leader in the church is to care for the souls of God's people. Can't negate that, but we also can't negate the other side of things, the physical needs of the people. I see the pendulum so much in churches, right? It's either like, oh, we're all about this. We're all about just the Bible study, all about this. And, and that's, that's for somebody else. That's not correct. Or, or we're all about reaching out. We're all about reaching out. We're all about reaching out. But, but that's, for, for some, that's for another church. Actually, it's both end. Actually, biblically, it's both end. We can't escape the true reality of what the Bible teaches us. And so as the elders fulfill their calling of teaching you and equipping you and growing you up in the faith... Part of our also calling is to identify men and women in our church who can then rise up and take on servant leadership roles within the church. Just the third point here is simply this. Servant leaders are called to look after the physical needs that arise. Servant leaders are called to look after the physical needs that arise. That, that arise. And so here's where many of you come in. We can't negate the physical needs of the people in our church. James 1.27 is a verse that has long stuck with me. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself from being unstained by the world. It's not just having a little holy thing in your own heart going on. It's, it's actually the holy thing in your heart that's going on is to spur you on into, into caring for the least of these. To spur us on into caring for the least of these. Including orphans and widows, those that people would kind of push aside and say, you know what, someone else can look after them. Galatians 6.10 tells us then, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's not right, it says here in verse 2, that we should 
give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Again, not a lower than thing. There's just like a dual faceted deal going on here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will, it says it again, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. It says it a couple times. Every someone says it a couple times is important. If you remember, said something to you twice, you knew you should listen, right? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and all the other friends there. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. How did the word of God increase? As servant leaders are being raised up. This doesn't happen. The word of God stops from increasing within the early church. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and to a great many of the priests came, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So much going on that we are called to as a body of believers, isn't there? Like, really, read the New Testament. God's mandate on the church is magnificent. It is like, God, that is way too big for a small group of people. That's why he has the body. That's why he calls us to be a part of the body because it's too big for one man. It's too big for two men. It's too big for 12 men. It is called to be a body of Christ thing. And we are called to be as a body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. To not just care about ourselves. The world teaches us that well, right? Comes by, comes, comes by us naturally to worry about ourselves. But to look around and care about those within the church and to look outside our walls and to really care deeply about those outside the church. So God's mandate for the church is this, to be godly leaders and to raise up more godly leaders who can do the work of the ministry. And here's the type of people you're lo- we're supposed to be looking for as we're raising up leaders to do the work of the ministry. It's, it's men, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but men and women who are What's it say here, verse 3? Men and women of good repute. What's that mean? It's really a resume of a servant leader. It's really the bio of a servant leader that God is raising up in churches. It's, it's men and women of good repute, known as people of sound integrity that other people can look up to and want to be like. People who are the same at home and the same at church as they are at work and at their leisure places. Men of good repute. It's also men full of the spirit. The power of God is alive in them. We've encountered Jesus Christ. God is in me. He's changing me. I'm growing. He's shaping my character and moving me along in the faith. It's men and women of wisdom. Not humanly wisdom, not smart people. Like, well, they've got doctorates and all those things. Men and women of wisdom that comes from above. People that it's clear that they are making decisions consistent with the word of God and clearly aligning with the will of God and led by the spirit of God. What God calls elders to do is find these people and empower them to do the work of the ministry. Find people who, are, who love the Lord. Find people who it's obvious the Holy Spirit is working in and, and, and shaping and molding. Find people who, who are full of wisdom, who seek the Lord and then empower them to do the work of the ministry. Ministry isn't meant to be kept by us as leaders. It's meant to be given away to you. I know some of you are thinking already, you're like, whew, that's a tall list. Well, I don't fit that list. I'm out. They're never going to tap me on the shoulder. 
That'd be missing the point. Oh, good, I don't have good, re- I don't have good repute. Oh, good, I don't, I'm not full of spirit and of wisdom. These are actually qualifications you all should be pursuing on a consistent basis, on a daily basis. You know, you know the, the whole church should be a church full of what? Servant leaders. You don't want these things in your life and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ because when, when you encounter Jesus and he changes your heart from the inside out, he gives you a desire for righteousness. He gives you a desire to be like him. He gives you a hungering to, to, for the things of God. So if you're thinking, that's not me, then I encourage you to get on your knees and start praying that this would be you because this is a sign that you're saved and that you're walking with Jesus. Another group here that are like, wow, leadership, that's, that's not my thing. That's for somebody else. Hope they don't tap me on the shoulder to, to serve in any way than even a simple little thing that all, the, all these, these men were called to do was simply collect money and give out food. Not hard. Sometimes we elevate leadership to something it's not. You know what leadership is in the Bible? It's serving others. How, how, did, how did Jesus lead? By washing his disciples' feet and serving the needs of those around them. If you're here and you're like, man, I don't really want to be a leader. I hope they don't tag me to be a leader. Then you've missed the whole idea of what leadership really is in the Bible. Leadership is not CEO, top down, here we go. Leadership is let's do this together and and look for ways to help each other and serve each other and love each other and and live out our calling that way. So the apostles found these people. They sought them out. They called them out and they laid hands on them. It's not insignificant. We did this with our deacons few years ago, a year ago now, and basically affirmed them and conferred upon them an area of responsibility and gave them the authority, hey guys, you look after this. Got a problem? We got a segment of society in our, in our, segment of our community that needs to be looked after. Can you just look after this? Like, just do it. We're not going to micromanage you. We're not going to look. Clearly, you love the Lord. Just do it. Collect the money. Give to the needy. It will be so much more effective in the ministry God's called us to. Important to note a couple of things about these, these men. Not only were they godly men, as we just pointed out, but they were Greek men. All these names are Greek names. They're not Aramic names. They're Greek names. You know what this shows? It shows the unity of the church. You know what else I think it shows? That those who saw the need were called upon to fulfill it. Isn't that interesting? Who better to fulfill the need than the ones who saw the need? Who better to fulfill the need than the ones who had, I care about our widows, I care about the Greek women. Great, awesome. Have at her. Get her done. It's amazing how God just sort of makes scripture come alive, isn't it? It's men who were Greek men who cared for the women that they wanted to serve. Notice that we only see two of these names ever again in Scripture. Stephen, which we're going to study next after Christmas. Of course, we know his story. And then Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. These other guys, just obscure men. But yet not obscure enough in God's eyes that their names didn't make the Bible. That's pretty significant. Amazing. 
Some believe this is the, this is the, the first deacons that were ever in the church. It doesn't say that in this passage, but if you look at what a deacon is, if you look at what a deacon is, according to 1 Timothy 3, this, this probably, this, this very well could be, or this could be simply just, just men who are just like, hey, we see a need, we want the, the movement of God to move forward, we'll fill it. I think it's pointing out the beginning of the, the deacons. The, you know what deacon literally means? It means servant. Deacon literally means servant. You study this passage in the original language, and there's several words related to deacon. Now, diakonos, which are found here, distribution or service in verse 1 is diakonai. I'm not good at languages, you know that. It's close, all right? The word to wait in verse 2 is very similar to diakonos. And so deacons, possibly, Men just stepping up to serve? Possibly. Irregardless, it was this. It was this, which I think we need in our church. Every church needs this. Not, not in a greater way than anyone else, but it was simply this. It was a group of men who could care less about the rewards and the recognition and who just wanted to serve the Lord. This is what it is. I don't care if it's the least glamorous job of caring for the little old ladies, sorry, the little old ladies that no one else cares about If Jesus loves them, I will love them. I don't care if I'm the food delivery guy to the least happening places in the city. If this is where Jesus calls us to go, give me the food, I will go. I don't care if I'm not an elder or the one at the front preaching. I just want to serve the Lord. And where God calls me to serve, I will serve and I'll let him take care of the rest. This is what the church needs more of. This is what we need to be more like as a body of believers. So easy for us, I think, sometimes to look around, and I can do it, I can do it just as easily as you can. Look around our church and be like, oh, there's so much more to do. There's so much more to do. There's so much more to do. I can, I can easily find out what's wrong with anything. It's sort of in my nature. I don't know why God made me that. I can, I can just do it. I can walk into any place and find out all the things that just pop out at me like that. I can do that better. I can do that Easy to be that person. But what God wants is, is people like the seven men here that were just willing to step up and be servant leaders in the church, whatever it might be. I found a unique, often happens like this, a unique thing that often happens in church. It's often, not always, it's often the ones that notice all the problems that have all the ideas and all the suggestions of what the church should be doing that are the ones that actually aren't committed at all to doing any of it. You ever notice that? The ones that are quickest to point out all the things that could be done and then you say, great, will you do it? Well, not me, I'm too busy. (laughs) Well, not me, I got other priorities, but you should be doing this. You're failing as a leader, you're failing as elders because we're not doing it all. But what about preaching the word of God in prayer? That's got to be important too. And I'm honest with you, we have a lot of staff, and you know what our staff are doing? They're working their tails off, serving the people in our church. The capacity is, if it's a plate, it's turned into a bowl, and the bowl is full and close to overflowing. And there's tons of ideas, there's tons of things we could be doing and should be doing and want to do. But you know how it's going to get done? You know, don't you? You just don't want me to say it. I can see it in your eyes. 
It says God's people saying, hey, I see a need. The widows are being neglected. I, I see that need. Can I serve there? I was driving down the street the other day and I came across a scenario that I really think we as a church can step into. Can you let me run with that? Hey, what areas of need do you see in the church that, that, that maybe I could, I could fulfill and I could... We want to be a body of Christ that looks after not just the physical needs, but the spiritual needs. Not just the spiritual needs, but the physical needs. To do this, we have to be all in this together. And notice in this passage, this was, this was not a small thing. We'd look at it and be like, oh, wow, like, that's a minor task. Give me something that's going to make real impact. Well, well here's what I picture. I picture these seven men in front of 20,000 people on their knees being commissioned. Think it's a small deal to have... Not elders, but the apostles, the ones who spent time with Jesus, the one who Jesus laid hands on to start his church, to have their hands being led on, laid on seven men to say, these are the men that God has chosen to fulfill this ministry. This is not an insignificant ministry in the church. Somehow we've categorized them into this is significant, this is insignificant. This is just as significant as the role that I play right now to you. We've got to get past this only when it's seen, only when it's noticed, only when there's something in it for me because there is something in it for all of us when we band together to serve the Lord. This is gonna have massive impact, not just within the church as their people are being cared for and they're being shown the love of Jesus, but outside the church as other people are looking around going like, what in the world is going on there? They care for their people. There must be something significant going on in their hearts. Constantly, constantly pray for God, would you bring people like this into our church? There's debate in the Bible whether deacons are just supposed to be men or there's debate in the, whether deacons are just supposed to be men or they're men and women. We're not gonna even go there today. Here's, here's what I think we're gonna go with. God is calling us all to be raised up to be servant leaders, to have the heart of these seven men. Yeah, we have deacons, so some of you think, we have deacons, we have elders, there's no room for me. There's room for everybody in servant leadership. Our deacons are doing a fantastic job. Richard and Ken and Dwight are doing a fantastic job looking after our finances and our, and our facilities and our, and our compassion. But guess what? They need help. This isn't a one-man job. Richard, Richard has a, a whole room in our church basement filled with food of like, what are we going to do with this food at Christmas? Let's mobilize our people to take it out and give it out. If you have needs at Christmas, come to us and let us, let us meet your needs. This is what the body of Christ is. Don't be so proud that you're, you're, you're barely scraping by this Christmas and, and you know we have all these resources but you're too proud to come and tell us we want to help you and be the body of Christ. You have people that you know that need food. Don't just, don't just pass by. Come and let us give you food to give them in the name of Jesus. Say, Richard, how can I help you in the compassion ministry of our church? We're still praying about where that goes. We believe that we're just scratching the surface and trying to figure out where God is taking this, but we know it's not done and there's so much more to do in our community with this compassion ministry. What about all the other areas of our church that need leadership? We can't make this happen with just our elders and staff doing all the work. It was never meant to be 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. It wasn't meant to be that way. Body of Christ, we're all in this together. We need servant leaders across the board set up and tear down crews. Well, that's just not significant. Well, of course it is. There's how many people in here hearing the word of God? It's significant. 
That's going to be a commitment. Of course it is. Well, who would you rather commit to, your own time and priorities or Jesus and his priorities? Set up and tear down are the hardest places to get people to serve, especially step up and lead those. Welcome ministry and harvest kids and all over the place. We need servant leaders. There's no meaningless servant leadership role. Jeremy Bundy is, is taking on a greater role in our church. I'm going to look into local outreach with, with Richard and Compassion. They're going to team together. All the things that we can do, we can't do them by ourselves. We can't do them by ourselves. Just like the 12 apostles were like, we're done. We're tapped out. We're maxed out. If this work's going to go forward, it's going to take some people to come and jump on board. So are we. Here's a question to ask yourself as we study this passage. Am I a person that is pursuing Christ and be considered for a servant leadership role in this church? Am I a person who's on fire with a passion, have audacious faith, just like the people in Acts, that, 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 that it's obvious to the people around me that, man, that I'd be good to serve a servant leadership, to fulfill a servant leadership role in this church? Am I pursuing the qualities and characteristics that the, that the seven men in this passage were pursuing? Here's another question to ask yourself. If I were tapped on the shoulder, what would be my response if I were tapped on the shoulder to, to do some menial tasks for the kingdom of God? Would I be like these guys and respond with a like, let's get after it? Or would I be scrambling the other direction for an excuse? Isn't it amazing how in every passage of scripture there's application for our lives? And it's meaningful and significant? I want to say this, I'm so thankful for the many people who have stepped up and are serving so faithfully in our church. There's many of you, you know who you are. You might not get your name written in the Bible like these guys did, but I'm pretty convinced there's a book in heaven with your name already written in it under the good and faithful servant column that that title's already been reserved for you. Let that be an encouragement to you. I don't think our church is void of these things. Can we use more of these people? Can we use more? Absolutely. And do we have many who are, actually, who are actually living out like these seven men? We have many who are living out like these seven men. In fact, more in this church than any other church I've ever been in in the last 25 years. We have more in this church than any church I've ever been before. So praise the Lord. Be encouraged. What God's looking for in your life is just a faithful willingness to serve the Lord. And whatever he calls you to, nothing more, nothing less. But I also know there's another group of people in this room that you look at this and in your heart you're scrambling the other way. Let me just say this to you. These men invested their lives for eternal rewards. I encourage you to exhort you to do the same. Don't waste your life on the frivolous things of this world, the things that seem more pleasurable, or the things that seem more comfortable, or the things that seem more satisfying. They, in the end, will be burned up and account to nothing. But the things that are done for Jesus Christ will last forever. It's the things that are done for Christ, serving the people of God for the purposes of God that will last forever. So don't waste another day on something that doesn't matter. Invest in what matters most to God, people. Where can you start? Just start serving somewhere. Don't start for, I gotta have a leadership role. Just serve. And as you serve, our leaders will notice that you're a servant leader and they'll raise you up to be the leader that God's called you to be. Just start serving somewhere.
And then be available when that tap comes on your shoulder. Say, yeah, a lot of things I can be involved in. This is what I want to invest my life in because this matters most. And this is what Jesus did. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to follow his example, it starts with us being willing to serve the least of these when it's the most sacrifice. It's actually Jesus' example to us, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came, get this, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All this is calling us to is being like Jesus. That's it. He came to the least of these. Who's the least of these? You and I. Ugly, decrepit sinners, rebellious of heart, wanting to lavish ourselves on our own sin, wanting to push God away. Jesus says, no, even though they want to run from me, I will go to them and I will not just go to them and find them, but I will actually sacrifice it all for them. I'll give my life up for them on the cross that they might have eternal life and have abundance of righteousness in their souls that they can't have on their own. I'm not going to come to be served. If anyone should be served, who is it? It's the king of all kings, Jesus Christ. I'm going to come to serve. Jesus says that was his ultimate joy, the joy set before him, enduring the shame, facing the cross, because he knew the eternal rewards of that would be out of this world. We get it all backwards. It's also our eternal joy to serve others. Gordon B. Hinckley says this, one of the great ironies of this life is this, he or she who serves almost always benefits more than he or she who is served. Because it's when we are serving that we are most exemplifying the gospel of Jesus Christ and living out the life of Christ in us. It's when we are serving that we're fulfilling God's call on not just our lives but the church body it's when we are serving that we see the work of God multiply. Look what happens at the end. And the word of God continued to increase. Why? Because they were all just serving together. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And get this, a great many of not just anybody, but a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. You know why I think the priests became obedient to the faith? Because they were like, what inspires people to serve like this? It can only be the power of the Holy Spirit that they're talking about. All this religious stuff doesn't mean anything compared to what's going on there. I believe. I believe I want this Jesus too. What kind of church are we going to be? It really comes down to what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church of audacious faith like the early church? Or are we going to be a type of church like we see many places today? Just all about us in our own little corner, doing our own little thing, fulfilling all of our wants and our desires and our needs and missing out on the full reality of the gospel. You know which one God wants us, wants us to be. You know which one we're praying for. Let's pray for together that we would be a church filled with servant leaders pursuing the cause of Christ because it's the only thing that matters. Let me pray. Father, simply this, thank you for your word this morning. If there's ever a time to realize the fullness of a message to really get out of our comfort zones and serve, it's at Christmas.
where we celebrate the fact that you came down for us and served us in the greatest way. Oh, Father, this Christmas, I pray that you'd ignite every heart here to the heart of Jesus. God, would we not just pursue this Christmas looking after our own things, doing our own idea, our own agendas and, and pursuing whatever we're gonna pursue, but God, I pray that you'd help us see the needs around us and help us, Lord, not just see them, but step up to meet them, to be the hands and the feet and the mouths and the body of Jesus Christ to the world around us. God, I pray you'd help us be a church that cares for those within our church. They wouldn't just come in superficially in and out and say our general highs and our buys and miss out on the full reality that you want us to embrace each other and care for each other, meet each other's needs in a real way. This is where the spirit comes alive in the body of believers. Oh God, I pray you simply do this. Give us an audacious faith to be all that you call us to be. Yes, look after the spiritual needs, but also look after the physical needs of those that you've entrusted into our care and our sphere of influence. Influence. Help us, God, be audacious faith people this Christmas. Help us be people, eyes fixed on Jesus, hearts enamored with only you, God. Thank you for this day. Would you take this word and do great and mighty things in our hearts through it in Jesus' name.